the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style from a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms to the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are thanking you for joining us for another evening, another hour spent around the book of books, around the Word, around the Bible. Tonight we're going to continue our way through the book of Genesis. We began at the beginning, of course, the creation. Everything about the book of Genesis has to do with the beginnings. Uh, Almost everything that happens is the first time it's ever happened. Kind of an interesting time to live, actually. We've gone through the time of Adam and Eve, the fall of man, then Cain and Abel, then uh, the genealogies leading up to Noah, the time of God's judgment on the earth, then the confusion of languages, breaking the human race up into different cultures, people groups, scattering them as God had commanded them early on to do, both Adam and Eve and Noah, but then finally had to force them to diversify and move over all of the earth. That was a key element of God's plan for the human race, diversification, that there would be people groups, that there would be different separate people groups, different languages, different cultures, and living in different places, different interests. Why? Because for a very practical reason, it broke the human race up into competing groups, and that was important, seeing that sin is now a part of the human experience. The original sin, the sin nature, as it's called, was powerfully at work in the human race. And when the human race stayed together, 
they walked lockstep into self-destructive behavior and wickedness. When they broke them up into competing interest groups, sin is still here present, but one group would compete against another. The whole human race doesn't walk in lockstep. Now, it explains to some degree why the enemy of our souls, why Satan, why the spiritual powers that opposing God uh, try to move the world to one world government, trying to move us to globalism, progressivism, and all the names that they give. Instead of, for example, the United States with 50 different states, with states' rights as our founding fathers envisioned, there's a strong push to federalism, to get the federal government to be all-powerful. Anything that consolidates power is something that you'll find the enemy going to instead of an emphasis on personal liberty and freedoms. Our founding fathers were locked into the biblical concept that's the genius of the Constitution, that it was in line with the principles that come to us from Scripture. Anyway, we've gone through all of that phase. We've come to the man named Abraham, and God has begun to deal with this man and his family lineage to bring about his redemptive plan. We'll get to more of that. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment tonight, Psalm 8, The Greatness of Our God, on the Bible Live. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and nursing infants to give you praise. They silence your enemies who were seeking revenge. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what are mortals that you should think of us, mere humans that you should care for us? For you made us only a little lower than God, and you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things, the sheep and the cattle and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. End of reading Psalm 8. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. That is God's ultimate plan that He would be known over all the earth. The Bible, the message of the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation and redemption is not, and never has been, the interest of only one group of people. We see that he has chosen Abraham, then Isaac. Now we'll begin to work with Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob and Esau, that's where we are in our readings in Genesis. Although God carried out a work of redemption in and through and with real people in a particular group, He calls all men to himself, and he always has. God has always presented himself to every man, woman, and child on planet Earth, calling all to acknowledge him, worship him, honor him, love him, and obey him, and to come into that eternal relationship with him. God's plan is to call out a people for himself from the human race. I will be their God, he says. They will be my people. 
we always have to remember that. Even as we focus on the salvation work that God carried out through certain specific people in time and space, it's always for the whole earth. We are picking up tonight with Jacob. Jacob has just deceived his father, and he has stolen now by this deception in cahoots with his mother, Rebecca. He has now gotten not only the birthright, but the blessing from his father, Isaac, and now will have to flee for his life to the north. And we'll see the second phase of his life in relationship with God. Let's pick up there in the book of Genesis on the Bible life. Genesis 27:30 through 30:24, Genesis 27. As soon as Isaac had blessed Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunting trip. Esau prepared his father's favorite meat dish and brought it to him. Then he said, I'm back, father, and I have the wild game. Sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Why, it's me, of course, he replied. It's Esau, your older son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who was it that just served me wild game? I have already eaten it, and I blessed him with an irrevocable blessing before you came. When Esau understood, he let out a loud and bitter cry, Oh, my father, bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, Your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has carried away your blessing. Esau said bitterly, No wonder his name is Jacob, for he has deceived me twice, first taking my birthright and now stealing my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is there left to give? Esau pleaded, Not one blessing left for me. Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. His father Isaac said to him, You will live off the land and what it yields, and you will live by your sword. You will serve your brother for a time, but then you will shake loose from him and be free. Esau hated Jacob because he had stolen his blessing. And he said to himself, My father will soon be dead and gone. Then I will kill Jacob. But someone got wind of what Esau was planning and reported it to Rebekah. She sent for Jacob and told him, Esau is threatening to kill you. This is what you should do. Flee to your uncle Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother's fury is spent. When he forgets what you have done, I will send for you. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I'd rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 28. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, Do not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padana Ram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants become a great assembly of nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where we are now foreigners, for God gave it to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. Esau heard that his father had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father despised the local Canaanite women. 
So he visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the sister of Nabaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone for a pillow and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down on it. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will cover the land from east to west and from north to south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I will be with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. I will someday bring you safely back to this land. I will be with you constantly until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Then Jacob woke up and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. The next morning he got up very early. He took the stone he had used as a pillow and set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, house of God, though the name of the nearby village was Luce. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will be with me and protect me on this journey and give me food and clothing, and if he will bring me back safely to my father, then I will make the Lord my God. This memorial pillar will become a place for worshiping God, and I will give God a tenth of everything he gives me. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 29. Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw in the distance three flocks of sheep lying in an open field beside a well, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone. After watering them, the stone would be rolled back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked them, Where do you live? At Haran, they said. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? Yes, we do, they replied. How is he? Jacob asked. He's well and prosperous. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Why don't you water the flocks so they can get back to grazing? Jacob asked. They'll be hungry if you stop so early in the day. We don't roll away the stone and begin the watering until all the flocks and shepherds are here, they replied. As this conversation was going on, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherd, and because she was his cousin, the daughter of his mother's brother, and because the sheep were his uncles, Jacob went over to the well and rolled away the stone and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and tears came to his eyes. He explained that he was her cousin on her father's side, her Aunt Rebecca's son. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard about Jacob's arrival, he rushed out to meet him and greeted him warmly. Laban then brought him home, and Jacob told him his story. Just think, my very own flesh and blood, Laban exclaimed. After Jacob had been there about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. How much do you want? Now Laban had two daughters, Leah, who was the oldest, and her younger sister, Rachel. 
Leah had pretty eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in every way, with a lovely face and a shapely figure. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to someone outside the family. So Jacob spent the next seven years working to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my contract, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so we can be married. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood to celebrate with Jacob at a wedding feast. That night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What sort of trick is this? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. What do you mean by this trickery? It's not our custom to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. Wait until the bridal week is over and you can have Rachel too. That is, if you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. And Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her more than Leah. He then stayed and worked the additional seven years. But because Leah was unloved, the Lord let her have a child, while Rachel was childless. So Leah became pregnant and had a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and had another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Again she became pregnant and had a son. She named him Levi, for she said, Surely now my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. Once again she became pregnant and had a son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 30. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children, she became jealous of her sister. Give me children or I'll die, she exclaimed to Jacob. Jacob flew into a rage. Am I God, he asked. He is the only one able to give you children. Then Rachel told him, Sleep with my servant Bilhah, and she will bear children for me. So Rachel gave him Bilhah to be his wife, and Jacob slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan, for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have had an intense struggle with my sister, and I am winning. Meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she gave her servant Zilpah to Jacob to be his wife. Soon Zilpah presented him with another son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, How fortunate I am! Then Zilpah produced a second son, and Leah named him Asher, for she said, What joy is mine! The other women will consider me happy indeed. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought the roots to his mother Leah. Rachel begged Leah to give some of them to her, but Leah angrily replied, Wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now will you steal my son's mandrake roots too? Rachel said, I will let him sleep with you tonight in exchange for the mandrake roots. So that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. 
You must sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrake roots my son has found. So Jacob slept with her, and God answered her prayers. She became pregnant again and gave birth to her fifth son. She named him Issachar, for she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. Then she became pregnant again and had a sixth son. She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me good gifts for my husband. Now he will honor me, for I have given him six sons. Later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by giving her a child. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my shame, she said, and she named him Joseph. For she said, May the Lord give me yet another son. End of reading Genesis 27:30 through 30:24. Blessed is the man who walks in your favor, who loves all your words and hides them like treasure. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. In the darkest place of his desperate heart. There are so many distractions, so many things that make us focus just on these worldly matters. There are spiritual matters. There are eternal matters. Far more important, the eternal always trumps the temporal. The spiritual trumps the purely natural. That is what Jacob is beginning to see. Some of these things that happen tonight in the reading are, to our ears as 21st century human beings, a little weird. The ideas of working seven years for Rachel and then getting cheated by his uncle Laban and having to work seven more years because he gets Leah, and then having two wives, it is really strange to us. There were different times, there were different customs, different arrangements. Doesn't make it right. God's model, God's ideal has always been one man, one woman for life. That was God's idea and ideal. Now we enter into the second phase of Jacob's relationship to God. There's nothing, as you have clearly seen already, there's nothing uh, supernatural or super spiritual about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Each one of them had their struggles and their disbelief and so on. Now, Jacob in particular is very interesting for us to observe. At first, it seems like there is nothing about Jacob that would even remotely make us believe that he knows God or loves God. But there must have been a seed of interest he had certainly more interest than his brother Esau. Esau cared nothing for this covenant relationship that Isaac evidently and obviously had told both Jacob and Esau about. Isaac told Jacob, may you have this land that God promised to your grandfather Abraham. They already knew about the covenant. They knew that God had promised this land to them and their descendants, and Jacob valued it. Maybe for the wrong reasons, mixed motives, but Jacob did give it importance and value it. That's a kernel of beginning. There was an interest. But he is a cheat. He is one who deceives and lies. Rebecca was complicit. She participated in this subterfuge of his brother Esau. Then he flees. I have a feeling Rebecca talked to Isaac and influenced him to send Jacob north to their family up in the Padana Ram. Before he gets there, though, he has his first encounter that we see here with God. Jacob's ladder, as it's called, this dream where he sees angels descending from heaven, and he uh, 
promises then if God will take care of him and prosper him, give him food and clothing, he would serve God. Sort of a shallow prayer, truly, not the most spiritual of all things you would see, but he is on his way. Now, God will be faithful even when Jacob is not because God is carrying out his plan of redemption and God is faithful to work with that little grain of interest that Jacob has demonstrated. At the first phase of his life, Jacob is a deceiver and a cheater and a liar. Now then, in this second phase of his life, he's going to be deceived. Now, remember Laban is his mother, Rebekah's brother. When Eliezer, the servant, showed up looking for a husband for Abraham's son, Isaac, Laban was the one that took one look at those diamonds and those jewels that Eliezer, the servant, had given to his sister, Rebekah. He took one look at those, and he ran out there to bring this guy in. He has an eye for money. He cares about the almighty dollar. He remembers Jacob, of course. He, ah, this is that wealthy family we have down there in the south. So Laban is eager to receive him into the fold. It was custom, of course, for a man to present a dowry or a substantial gift of money to the family of his future wife. This is agricultural-type families. You take family members, a wife away, you took away income, actually. So it was a custom for the husband to pay a dowry for the girl. And since Jacob did not have material possessions, he agreed to work seven years for Laban. But see, there was another custom that Laban did not tell Jacob about, and that was that the older daughter had to be married before the, the younger so by giving Jacob Leah, not Rachel, Laban deceived him and tricked him into promising another seven years of hard labor. Now Jacob is on the other side. He is the one being deceived. He is the one being manipulated and used. He gets furious about it. But fact is, sin does have a way of coming back and biting us on the backside. Now we see Jacob in this situation. Two wives, Leah and Rachel, and yet each wife, has their handmaiden, their servant girl, as well Zilpah and Bilhah, who is Rachel's servant. Through these four women, then he has 12 sons, one daughter, Dinah. We'll learn all about her a little bit later as well. We go from one dysfunctional family to another, right? Lots of lessons to learn tonight about God, about ourselves, and about his faithfulness. Jacob has fallen into the hands of a deceiver more skilled than even he is, and that is the hands of Laban. On the surface, we may find it difficult to identify with Laban, but his selfishness is one point that we all have in common. Like Laban, we often have a strong tendency to control people and events around us to our benefit. And our, quote, good reasons for treating others the way we do may simply be a thin cover for our self-centered motives. We may not even recognize our own selfishness. One way to discover, though, is to examine our willingness to admit when we're wrong. Laban could not bring himself to admit error or sin on his part. If you ever amaze yourself by what you say and do to avoid facing up to wrong actions, you're getting a little glimpse of your selfishness in action. Recognizing selfishness, though, is painful, but it's the first step on the road back to God. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall Hoff Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations and purchase materials at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. 
Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.